When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Evolutionary Woman Radio. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays, 5.30 p.m., only on Blog Talk Radio. Visit our Facebook page for archived shows at facebook.com forward slash evolutionary woman radio. Welcome, family. Welcome to another episode of Evolutionary Woman Radio. I am your host, Khadija Ali, and I am excited for you all to be here, to be tuning in today to listen to another episode. And you know that we are here because we are committed to highlighting uh, and collaborating with amazing women who are up to big things in the world, who um, despite maybe uh, detours in their life or something has happened in their life, they chose or they choose to show up and they show up powerfully and they use what uh, the events of their life, they use them to propel themselves forward and they use 
what has happened to help others. And so we are so honored and we are so blessed to be able to do this show and use this as a platform to have um, women that are doing things out in the community and doing things in the world. And we're starting to reach a big, big audience um, of people from not only just the United States, but uh, the United Kingdom and Canada and Now we're uh, reaching into the Bahamas and into the Caribbean, all the different Caribbean islands. And so I'm just so honored and I feel blessed to be able to do this show, to be able to bring you uh, solutions to help you uh, navigate this life that we are living. And we're all evolving, which is why I named the show Evolutionary Woman. You're you're constantly transforming and you're constantly evolving. And so here it is. We have a platform uh, to teach you and give you some tools, to give you uh, some inspiration, to give you uh, another way of looking at things. And so I want to introduce my guest. Her name is Benir Pierre, and she is a personal power coach, y'all. She's a coach. Uh, She is an abuse survivor. She's a community activist, blogger, and she is the founder of Rising Phoenix Abuse Recovery Coaching. She's a miracle from birth, and she spent the first week of her life in a hole of a New Orleans bayou. And family, we got to find out more about uh, that part of her story. And she after she was molested at the age of six and enduring uh, a childhood of physical and emotional abuse, she spiraled into depression. And she began self-injuring herself at the age of 10. And it was an addiction that consumed more than a decade of her life. She hit rock bottom at 20, but her turning point came in 2004 after her third, third failed suicide attempt. And through rigorous soul-searching, personal development studies, and divine intervention on her journey to wholeness, Benir overcame her devastating history, and she has dedicated her life to breaking the silence about domestic violence and child abuse in the black community. Okay, family, this is something very, very important, very near and dear to my heart. So we're going to talk about this today. And she started Rising Phoenix as a way to help abuse survivors rise from the pain of their past into a future filled with power and limitless possibilities, limitless possibilities. Family, think on that. Drawing from lessons learned on her path to freedom, Benir created the Rising Phoenix Phoenix Signature Coaching Program designed to produce lasting change with measurable results. Benir is currently uh, a resident of Atlanta, which is one of my favorite places to visit, and she has two French pups, Onyx and Theo. So hi, Onyx. Hi, Theo. And when she's not helping others live their best lives, she enjoys cooking, uh, she performs poetry, which we love, 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 and listening to live music. And she is in the process of pinning her first memoir and family, family, family. This is so important when we have um, women who are out in the world What I'm finding is it's very important for you to share your story. So if you have not began the process of writing a book, please, please, please take the time. And it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out 300, 400-page. You can write a book literally like 100 pages. And just begin to tell your story and share your story. So, you know, I'm glad to hear that she is in the process of writing her first book. And your book will be here long after you are. So people will be able to know who you are and what your story is uh, long after you're gone. So ladies and gentlemen, it is my esteemed pleasure and honor to bring to you today, Benir Pierre. 
Good Hi, afternoon, my queen. I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You're most welcome. I was just uh, introducing you and bringing you uh, into the studio, and you have quite quite the story. But before we get started, I always like to say this at the top of the show, sit back and relax. Imagine that you and I are sitting at Bonefish Grill. I I don't know why I always pick Bonefish Grill, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) And we are just having a glass of wine or sparkling cider. And we're just kicking back and having a conversation. I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. I'm pleased to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So you have, like I said, you have quite the story. And I was just explaining to the audience that this is what this show is about, to show women how you can use your experiences and use your story and use those things that you have experienced to help transform and change people's lives. and. You know, reading your bio, it sounds like you are doing just that. And there's a lot that I want to get into today, if we can. We have about 40 minutes or so uh, to really talk. Um, But you mentioned some things that I really want to put in the forefront of your mind for us to talk about. You mentioned self-injuring yourself at the age of 10. Of course, you mentioned uh, physical and emotional abuse, domestic violence, um, suicide, uh, which is that's that's some pretty heavy stuff, and you know somehow mm-hmm. some way you manage to come out of all of those things, and you mention um how you've dedicated your life to breaking the silence about domestic violence and child abuse in the black community in particular, and that's something I really want to talk about today, so I just want to welcome you to the show, give you an opportunity to, you know, I I definitely introduced you, but um, just give you the opportunity to maybe introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. And thank you very much. I definitely am a firm believer in what you're doing, and so it's my honor to speak with you today. Um, as you've already said, my name is Benair Pierre. I'm the owner and founder of Rising Phoenix Abuse Recovery Coaching, and I help women reclaim their lives after abuse. I do signature coaching, um, exclusive events, and recently I've actually incorporated intuitive energy healing into the services that I provide. Um, but I definitely believe that the things that we go through, the tests, that we face, they are so that we can help other people. So, you know, I I love the fact that even though I have gone through a lot, I'm able to help so many women simply by sharing my story. Mhm, mhm. And you know, you wow. I'm sitting I'm sitting here a little <sighs> I'm sitting here amazed because I'm talking to someone who is literally a walking miracle. Um, you didn't have a uh, an easy time coming into the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you, you spent your first week of life in a hole? I, yeah, I mean, and it's... <laughs> It's funny when I tell that story or even, you know, any of the things in my past because I feel like, of course, I don't remember that, but a lot of the things that I went through, sometimes it feels like it's someone else's story. Um, But, you know, I was the product of two very young parents, and I, my mom didn't really have the support that she needed. She was 15 when she got pregnant, 16 when she had me. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. that she was terrified. And so after she gave birth, she placed me in a hole. We lived in New Orleans at the time. So she went to the bayou and placed me in a hole. And I heard that she prayed that someone else would find me and be able to take care of me. Um, And so I was there for about a week, according to the news reports. And a couple 
of friends were actually there crawfishing and heard me crying, and they thought it was a kitten. So they go looking for this kitten, and voila, there's a little black baby. <laughs> so, you know, but God has mm-hmm. an amazing sense of humor because uh, my mom around that same time ended up in the hospital because she gave birth herself, 16-year-old scared girl, gave birth to this baby and didn't know that she had to deliver the afterbirth. And so she started to mm-hmm. get sick about a week after I was born. And that was around the founding. So I put two and two together, and I actually was returned to my mother. Wow. Wow. So were you subsequently raised by her or, you know, mm-hmm. from that point on? Okay. Okay. Wow. Yes, ma'am. My God. And, you know, take us through, because, you know, we don't talk enough in the black community, in my opinion, about our stories, right? We have mm-hmm. things that happen to us. We have uh, situations that come up, and it's it's always hush-hush, you know, push it down, shove it down. Um, we don't talk about it, and we keep moving, right? We keep moving forward. But the dysfunction still shows up. And you never understand right. why the dysfunction is showing up. You don't understand why your uh, grandfather is an alcoholic and then your, you know, you don't understand why your great-grandfather is an alcoholic and then your grandmother is an alcoholic and then your father is an alcoholic. There was a there was a dysfunction or there was a an event or an experience that brought that on. And, you know, it's carried from generation to generation to generation and it never gets talked about and that what you're doing in your life is is an example of why it's important to bring these things out why it's important to tell your story so that the next person or the next generation can understand you know you may have nieces or nephews coming up mm-hmm. uh behind you that need to know this important history so that it's not repeated. You know, we can talk about these things so it's not repeated. Um, You know, you talk about being molested at the age of six, and I think a lot of black girls have had this experience, but we don't talk about it. So, you know, for you, what was that like to have that experience? And, you know, when did you finally talk about it or did you tell someone, you know, when it happened? As far as being molested, that's something that I held on to um, until I was about 17. And as is often the case when abuse happens before the age of eight, a lot of times it's not even understood on a cognitive level. Our body does a really great job of shutting those things out so that we can function. Mm -hmm. And so I absolutely Mm -hmm. dealt with the effects of it. Um, I was also, you know, I was also physically abused and emotionally abused. And so a lot of that, that felt more like abuse to me. It felt more like abuse to, you know, go to school and my brother has a black eye than it did to understand that she wasn't supposed to touch me that way. And so I, for a very long time, shut it out and held it in. And like you said, I certainly, I took it out on myself for many years. Um, I started self-injuring at the age of 10, and that continued until I was in college. Um, I tried to commit suicide three times before I was 21 years old. And so, you know, the effects were certainly there, even though I didn't fully understand. And so I finally told someone when I was about 17, and it was swept under the rug because often in the black community, that's what we do. And so the thought is, if it happened, why didn't you say something back then? And I think that's Mm -hmm. not even an only in the black community thing, because I feel like a lot of times when women come forward and say, this is what happened to me, this is how I was violated, the thought is that if it was really so bad, then why didn't you say something when it happened? There's so Mm -hmm. many Mm -hmm. reasons that women don't come forward, you know? And so after that, I, 
I held it in even longer. And even when I was going through counseling, you know, I've seen several therapists. I'm a firm advocate of mental health. Um, And so even when I was Mm -hmm. talking to counselors, it was never really something that we addressed. We would talk about what happened in my home. Um, And I I do want to say, because I feel like a lot of times I do these interviews and I neglect to say that my mom and I actually um, have a pretty good relationship now. It took a lot of things that we had to work through and there were several years that we didn't talk, but, you know, for the most part, we're good now. Um, And so in counseling, most of that was focused on what was going on at home. I never really talked about the molestation. And so... I was around age 22 after uh, my last suicide attempt that I realized all of these things that have happened in my life are connected. And there's a reason. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, a lot of times we see that great-granddad is an alcoholic and then grandma drinks and, you know, and we don't really put it together. Mm -hmm. And so around 21, 22, I realized, you know, all of these things are not isolated there's a reason right. I feel this way about myself. There's a reason that I act this way. People see me as the straight-A student. I have it all together. At that time, I was very, very into the church. And even though I was very religious, I didn't really have a personal relationship with God because I didn't understand God as the compassionate, loving father. Right. I saw God as, <sighs> you know, the one who sits in the sky and angry when we do something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, and a lot of times I actually, I do a series called Sacred Soul Healing um, that discusses how, you know, when there is abuse and trauma, we often put God in that place of the person who was supposed to protect us. So however we view our parents or the person who hurt us, we think God is the same way. So we see God as angry, someone who simply wants to judge us, someone who, you know, we have to come with our heads bowed down and afraid. And, you know, I'm thankful that now I know God for my, during that time I didn't. And so I had to come to terms with everything that was happening in my life and really understand the root of it. And that's when I started to heal. Mm. Wow. I I have to take a deep breath because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, your story parallels a lot of my story uh, in that um, that shift that I had to take in my mind um, when it came to religion and spirituality and what someone had told me about, you know, well, he's jealous and he's, Uh you know, you Uh need to fear him. And, And I was telling someone a couple of weeks ago, you know, I said, listen, Yes, you've known me all your life, and, you know, we've known each other for a long time, I said, but my my mind has shifted in how I view God, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm off that, you know, I'm off that angry, you know, judgmental, pointing a finger, God, I'm off of that. I'm all about, you know, God is love and compassion and understanding, right. I said, because, you know, if you think that God is angry and judgmental, then that's how you see yourself in relation to him. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. can you live a full and 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 you know magnificent and amazing life when the the one who created you sees you in that way? You can't. Exactly. There's no possible way. There's mm-hmm. no possible way. So I am so um you you're connecting the dots in a very real way. And mm-hmm. I did want to bring up something else that you uh, mentioned, and I don't know if it was in your bio, but it was replacing religion with counseling. And I think that's very, very controversial for uh, people in the black community in particular, um, mm-hmm. maybe because we came up uh, in an era where you couldn't afford it and you didn't even know what it was. You know, you, you think back to uh-huh. your grandparents and your great-grandparents, you know, what was um, psychology back in those days? It probably really in their minds didn't exist. And so that uh-huh. carries generation to generation to generation. So, you know, can you talk about that? 
Sure. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you're probably referencing a Facebook post I had that was talking about how in the black community we don't seek mental health, you know, by and large. Of course, there are um, pockets, and I think that Some as people. we are moving into, right, and, you know, and as we're moving mm-hmm. to a greater state of awareness, I think people understand that whole body health is necessary. Um, but, you know, right. growing up, I was always taught in the church that, you know, if you're depressed, it's because you don't have enough faith. You need to pray harder. Jesus will take care of all of your burdens. And while that is absolutely true, that faith can help guide us through some of these dark moments, I look at mental Mm -hmm. illness as no different than diabetes, than cancer. If someone comes to you and they are saying that they're having issues with their diabetes because they're not taking their medication, because they're not monitoring their glucose levels, of course you're going to say you need to go to the doctor and you need to follow the doctor's instructions. So why not the same thing when there's something going on with the way our brain is functioning, especially Mm -hmm. when it's a result of trauma? And, you know, I, my first, it's funny, I've done so many of these and I don't generally get emotional, so I don't know why today's different, but, you Mm -hmm. know, my first. It's heavy. uh, You know, it could be (laughs) me that you're picking up on because it's heavy. And, you know, that's why I like doing these shows. I like people need to see that as a coach, they need to know that you are connected emotionally Mm -hmm. to, not that you're connected emotionally and you can't coach because you're you're crying and you just can't, you know, but if you're an empath, Mm -hmm. and I'm an empath, and Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm sure everything you've been through, you're an empath. Mm -hmm. You cannot help but be affected by this. And so this is a safe space, and it is okay. And people are going to be listening back at this interview and know that it is okay to to display your emotion. And, yes, you're a coach Mm -hmm. and you you offer solutions, but you're a human being. So, please, I just want to insert that. No, I I appreciate that because a lot of times as coaches, we feel that we have to, you know, yes, be authentic, but have this wall up where people see us as infallible. And that's not the truth. You're absolutely right Mm -hmm. that I'm human and I don't have the perfect answer, but I can certainly help you find it for yourself. Um, But you're absolutely Right. right that, you know, sometimes it does get a little bit emotional. And like I said, you know, a lot of these things, sometimes I look back and it doesn't even feel like it's my life anymore um, Mm -hmm. just because my life is so different now. But there Mm -hmm. was certainly so much pain back then, you know. And so I remember um, the first time that I tried to take my life, I was, I want to say, 14, 15 And, you know, I started teaching Sunday school when I was 13 years old. I was the shining star in my family, in my church. And so everyone saw me as, you know, back then they saw me as very quiet, which is funny to anyone who knows me now. Um, But, you know, I was the the one who was happy, the one who made everyone happy. And Mm -hmm. after I, uh, you know, I overdosed on pills that time and, Ended up Mm -hmm. telling my pastor, and his response was very dismissive. It was basically, you know, I think, no, I'm sorry, the first time I actually, I took rat poison. And so his response to me was, you're not a rat. Why would you do that? No question of why. No question Mm -hmm. of how can we help you. It was simply, that was silly. Don't do that again. And so, of course, you know, they brought me up to the prayer line and they interceded. All the missionaries came out and, you know, brought down holy fire, but I was still Mm -hmm. depressed. And all it taught me Mm -hmm. was that I needed to make sure that I smiled more and I needed to make sure that I was happier for other people so that they didn't realize the turmoil that was going inside. And, you know, at Mm -hmm. that point, largely the abuse had stopped. You know, I was no longer being molested. Um, I wasn't really being physically abused. There was a lot of emotional abuse still existing, Mm -hmm. but, you know, most of it had stopped. But it 
turned from, I became my own abuser. So it turned from me being helpless in the situation to me turning all of that inward. And so, you know, during that time, even though everyone said they loved me, I never felt it because I didn't love myself, you know, and I felt Mm -hmm. that a lot of the I love you was because of my accomplishments. And so all it taught me was accomplish more, do better, smile harder, you know. And so while I don't think that we should completely replace church I'm sorry, um, counseling with religion. Religion, I'm sorry, I'm losing my thoughts here. Counseling absolutely has a place. Counseling, coaching, support outside of the family because there's so much that is taught in the black community. What happens here stays here. And so we don't share things outside of the family. But there's absolutely a place for support outside of the family. It's necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find that when you were vocal about that, were people up in arms? Did you have people upset, or you know, was it was it just everything You're saying was back fine? then or now? Well, back. Well, are you I, asking about back then or now? I, I would say back then because I'm pretty sure now. I mean, whether they are mm-hmm. or aren't you don't really care. <laughs> right. You know, this is very you're, you're, true. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so true. You know, yeah. honestly, so back then, back then yeah. I didn't really, I couldn't really talk about it. Very few mm-hmm. people knew what was going on. Um, there were a few teachers at school, you know, around 14, 15, when I first, like I said, I started cutting myself when I was 10 years old. And so right. people really didn't find out until that first time that I tried to kill myself. Um, and, you know, my mom did bring me to a crisis intervention center. Um, and so that's kind of when things started to come out. But I think it really didn't become evident how bad things were until I was about 16, 17 years old, because that's when I just stopped caring. Like, I was so depressed, and I just let it. I couldn't care if I lived or died. Mm-hmm. And straight-A student, my whole senior year, I didn't even go to school. I just, mm-hmm. I would go to work if I wanted to. Like, I just kind of walked through life. I did not expect to make it to 18 years old. I certainly didn't expect to make it to 32 years old. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think at that point, that's when people really started to see, you know, I I left home because, and I think part of that was my depression, but a lot of it Mm -hmm. was that part in me that wanted so badly to fight for life. And so me leaving home was actually the thing that started, even though I certainly dealt with things for some years after that, but it was the thing that made me realize I don't have to live like this if I don't want to. What I'm doing is a choice. Absolutely. That's right. See, This is why I love, I like to take people on a journey and I like people to see the humanness of my guests. And Mm -hmm. I like for people to see kind of behind the veil of really what goes on because we get, a lot of times we get the bios and it's, you know, you take person on a journey through the bio and, but people need to know really how, how you arrive at this, and it's not like mm-hmm. it's not cookie cutter. And right. the other thing is, you knew that there was something inside of you that wanted to fight. That you there mm-hmm. was something. There was even if it was a little itty bitty teeny weeny piece of you, right? Well, it felt mm-hmm. like that. I'm I'm mm-hmm. assuming. I'm imagining. Um. And that you knew you had to get yourself out of that environment that you had been raised in for so long mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. start the healing. You know, stop me if I'm wrong. Like if I, because that's what I'm hearing from what you're sharing with with us today. Because mm-hmm. I think that it wasn't that I wanted to die. 
I just didn't want right. to live in pain anymore. Right. 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 Um so let's 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 shift it a little bit. Um mm-hmm. And bring it fast forward to you deciding to become a coach and, you know, what was the turning point for you in in becoming a coach? When did you discover that Mm -hmm. gift? Um, And it's funny because as soon as you said that, I just got so happy. I absolutely love what (laughs) I do. Um, And, you know, I can remember as I started to realize, wow, I don't actually have to be depressed and I don't have to deal with these effects. I can feel this. Once I started to realize this, I always, you know, would joke and I was like, I really need to write a book about my life. You know, people would be so mm-hmm. amazed to know all the crazy things I went through. And, you know, it went from that to I would love to be a motivational speaker. And that was around the time I discovered law of attraction and it's so funny now looking back and I'm like, Oh my God, I think I am living this life that I've wanted to live for all this time, you know? Um, but I had discovered law of attraction and was really starting to awaken to, you know, not only just surviving, because I think a lot of times, you know, and that's one thing that I teach my clients, there's so much more to life than surviving. But, you know, back mm-hmm. then, I was I was healthy for the most part. You know, I no longer um, was using those coping mechanisms. I no longer was hurting myself physically or, you know, wanting to leave this earth. But I still wasn't necessarily taking care of myself. I still wasn't loving on myself. And so once I started to actually fall in love with myself, it opened my mind to so many possibilities. Um, And so I always kind of joked that it would be so awesome to be a coach and a motivational speaker and help people through my story. And so I had a friend of the family visiting one weekend who randomly said, I love your energy. You should be my life coach. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I've always wanted to be a life coach. Why would you say that, you know? And so he went back home, and we worked together for about three months. And I realized, oh, my God, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. That was about five years ago now. And so I started to really do the work to learn what I needed to learn. And get the training that I needed and figure out exactly how to help people. Um, Or I guess how to help people wasn't really something I had to learn because I think for me that's always been innate. Um, But learning how to... Mm-hmm. Um, but learning how to really hone it in and figure out mm-hmm. what do you need most and how can I help you learn that for yourself. And honestly, really, all I do is help take people through the journey that I went through when I was healing. Mm-hmm. The exercises that right. I did, the, the things that most affected me, and then I, you know, we work and figure out what do you want, how can you get it, because you already know the answers. I feel like every single person that I work with, I only work with strong women. And so every woman that I work with, they already have it. They just need some tools. You hear that, sisters? You already have it. The coach just says, here's some tools. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. <clears throat> so Rising Phoenix what's with the name? I, I mean, I love that name. I call my daughter, uh, she's my phoenix, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she always finds herself <laughs> in some sticky situations, and you're like, I don't even know how she got herself in that. I don't even know how she's going to get out of that. And then, mm-hmm. boom, she gets out of it, and you're like, oh, my God, I don't even know. How did you do that? Like, you're an alchemist mm-hmm. or something. But So mm-hmm. what, what was the name about for you? <laughs> Um, You know, honestly, I think it's the same. And there's so many women that I speak with and work with who have a connection to the Phoenix. Um, I remember Mm -hmm. in middle school was the first time I heard the Phoenix. We read a book called Rising Phoenix um, or something along that line. But I first learned the story of the Phoenix, and I related so well because I – 
I feel like you really have to hit that rock bottom place. I don't see anything else and make the yeah. decision to live again. And so for me, that's mm-hmm. what the Rising Phoenix represents. Right, right, right. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, let's talk about um, what you have coming up next. Um, you know, what – you know what? Before we start talking about that, when is the book coming out? <laughs> well, right now That's... the book is just kind of something that I am working on. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a few chapters deep, but I have a major event coming up, and so I haven't been able to give the brain power that I need to the book. Um, but so certainly the book. after the major event is October 15th, and so – um, I actually plan on taking several months off of major things um, so that I can work on knocking that out. So definitely by next year, um, but right now it's not necessarily the priority. Um, but to answer right. your question, what do we have going on? Um, it's funny because I look now at what we have going on and I feel like I need a calendar to keep up with all of the things that Rising Phoenix is doing right now. Um, Of course, we do events, which I'm a firm believer of empowering women through events. So I do a bi-monthly series called Cocktails and Conversations, and essentially we gather in a very intimate environment. Most times it's at someone's home. Um, and we talk about those things that we don't address in the black community. So, you know, one month we did misogyny mm-hmm. between women. Uh, the last one was sacred soul healing. And so, you know, we eat really great food. I actually am an amateur chef, so I cook oh. a meal or hors d'oeuvres or whatever. Um, and we sit down and we share a meal. We heal. I take the group through exercises. We have discussions. Um, and so that's kind of the ongoing thing that Rising Phoenix does. Um, we have okay. a, an event coming up on October 15th at the Philip Rush Center in Atlanta. Hooray. Yes! I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working Ooh. so hard on this for the last seven or eight months, and so to see everything coming together is so exciting. Um, We have, for our host, it's Tamika Georgia Mee Harper. Many of the listeners probably know her from Death Poetry I didn't know who she was until Mm -hmm. literally, I promise you, Thursday night, I went to see Jill Scott, (laughs) and she was the opening act. So I'm literally gagging right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, that Georgia me, that's the one. <laughs> yes. So she is our awesome. host. Yes, and I'm mm-hmm. so excited. Tickets actually go on sale. The pre-sale starts next Friday, and then regular sales start September 1st. Um, we have a body painter in the house. We have an amazing panel of healing professionals. We have some sex therapists. I have a tantric specialist. Um, I have someone who specializes in military sexual abuse, which is a major problem that we never discuss. Um, And so we have some really amazing things in store. There's an auction. Um, I have a door raffle. And I just confirmed with my amazing caterer, so the menu is going to be so delicious. Basically, you have to be there. I don't know what you're doing on October 15th, but you have to be Listen, there. Listen, <laughs> I, 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 I put that I was interested in the event because, you know, Facebook is all fancy now. You can put your interested mm-hmm. to kind of keep it in my mind. And, you know, I may have to move some things around, but um, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. And I'm not that far. Yeah. I'm Six hours is nothing for me to get on the drive, mm-hmm. highway and drive. So mm-hmm. for everyone who's listening and if you're in the – uh, North Carolina, Atlanta, South Carolina, area. Yes. Atlanta area, you know, come out. This is going to be an amazing event. Oh, my God, Benir, it's been a pleasure to have you here. 
Um, come back anytime to the show. Um, say hi to Onyx and Theo for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And yeah, um, I just got them some new toys. (laughs) Aww. I'm thinking about getting a dog, so I'm all about (laughs) dogs lately here. (laughs) Um, Before you leave, you know, leave us with two things. Uh, how we can get in contact with you on social media, and maybe some parting words, something for people to think about. Absolutely. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Twitter. All of my handles are at Arising Phoenix. So, you know, Periscope, everywhere you can find me, at Arising Phoenix. On Facebook, Rising Phoenix Abuse Recovery Coaching. You can find me online at risingphoenixcoaching.com. Um, and if you want to add me as a personal friend, my name is Benir Pierre. Exactly what you see on my Facebook page is what you're going to see on the business page because it is all about authenticity. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, definitely many ways to reach me. As far as parting words, honestly, I I have a few. Um The first thing that I want to say is you have never reached too low to get back up again. Sometimes we have to fall on our back. And like the Phoenix, a lot of times we have to hit that deep bottom place to be able to realize that we can rise again. And so no matter how far you've gone, you can always make the decision to turn around or to rise again. Um, The second thing that I want to say, because, again, most of my, not even most, all of my clients are strong women, and I think, especially as black women, we feel that we have to keep this facade up of the strong black woman, and a lot of people Mm -hmm. mistake being strong with being hard, and it's not the same thing. You can be hard and tough, but that is weak. And it is liable to crumble at any time. And so Sean is being flexible. Sean is being able to recognize that, you know what, I do need some extra support. And it doesn't make me weak to admit that. Sean is being able to reach out and get the help that you need. And so if you need assistance, if you need someone in your corner, don't be afraid to reach out, whether it's to me, whether it's to someone in your family, someone at work, at your church, get the help that you need. I really thank you for having me here, Khadija, and this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. And um, that, that one last parting word that you shared, I want people to hone into that. Um, we have to debunk the myth of this strong black woman. We really do. So I thank you for sharing that. I thank you for being here. And I honor you and bless you and all that you do. Thank you so much. Blessings to you. You're welcome. Family, this has been another episode of Evolutionary Woman Radio. I'm your host, Khadija Ali. We will see you for the next show. Uh, Peace and blessings.
Evolutionary Woman Radio. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays, 5.30 p.m., only on Blog Talk Radio. Visit our Facebook page for archived shows at facebook.com forward slash evolutionary woman radio. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. 